0: So I'm Rachel Woody. I'm here with the Oregon Wine History Archive and we're interviewing Andrew Belzer at King Estate on June 13th, 2019. And our first question we like to start with is why wine?
1: Um, My family's always had a big appreciation for wine. Um, None really have ever been in the wine industry. I'm kind of the first to venture um, in that particular field. Um, Growing up, my mom really loved wine, so did my grandfather. He was the one that kind of introduced it to me at a very young age, Mm -hmm. kind of teaching the appreciation for it, not to Mm -hmm. abuse it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was kind of a big driving force in me going into wine. Um, uh, It was really good into chemistry in high school and found out that the chemistry and winemaking go together uh, very well. It's a big prerequisite for, for winemaking. So at a very early age, I decided that's the path that I wanted to take.
0: Mm-hmm. And along this path, you decided to go to Fresno State, is that correct?
1: Correct, yes. So I had, uh, I had it down to three options, Fresno State, UC Davis, and Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Um, chose Fresno State because they have a reputation of being uh, kind of more production-driven, a little more practical, um, whereas UC Davis, even though they are more of the top school, um, are more uh, scientific and research-based. Um, if you want to go like higher in your um, education, to master's doctorate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: definitely the route to go. Didn't think that was more for me, um, plus Fresno State was a little closer to home, um, which definitely took a, another part in my decision to, mm-hmm. to go there.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was your experience like there?
1: It was good. Uh, it was a very small class. Um, my graduating class was only about 20 of us. Um, so you didn't have to try really hard to get a good relationship with your professors. Obviously, you always do, but mm-hmm. it came very naturally. There was a lot of one-on-one with them. Um, definitely learned, I think, a lot more um, going, keep staying in a smaller class size. Um, and, sorry. Okay. Can you repeat that for the question?
0: Sure. Was, well, uh, why? What, what was your experience like at Fresno experience? State? Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. um,
1: yeah, so small, small class sizes, um, easy to get to know the professors. Um, another good experience there were the extracurricular clubs that they had available to students. Um, the big one for me was the Enology Society of Fresno. Basically it was a student run organization that would put on uh, technical, like professional tastings for student faculty and community members. Um, it was a great way, as soon as you turn 21, of course, to um, be introduced to a broad spectrum of wines. Uh, wines, especially wines that normally a college student couldn't afford to mm-hmm. buy or ever afford to taste. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely helped um, just developing my palate in general, uh, kind of right off the bat. Uh, so that was a really great experience. Uh, and then the Viticulture Club, Um, uh, they do a a huge fall harvest barbecue every year, and they're really involved with um, making a wine for that event, so I was able to get kind of hands-on experience with making wine on a a little little larger scale than most, like, you know, home fermentation goes. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that, great experiences. Um, Did student assistantships where I was making wine on an even larger level, um, working with between two to four tons of fruit, every year and mm-hmm. doing uh, research type wine making. So overall, it was a, a very good experience and I think it was the right fit for me, very hands on.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what, what was your path between attending Fresno State and then finding your way to King Estate?
1: So my first experience with King Estate was in 2006. So I was, in, I was 16, wasn't, I was still in high school. Um, my mom and her, my aunts, they all came up here for wine tasting. Um, me and my siblings and cousins could, could care less about that. So we were, we were playing in the parking lot and I just remember this, being awestruck by just the, the, the beauty of it and thought oh, this would be something I'd want to do one day. So that was kind of my first experience with King Estate. State. Uh, and then fast forward three years later in '09, we were up here uh, again during the summer. That was the summer before I enrolled in Fresno State. And I found out the winemaker here at the time was a Fresno State grad, um, one of the first when they became their own separate department. Um, got in contact with him and just kind of started building a or building rapport with, the, with him and some other alumni. Um, mm-hmm. We were able to get a, a summer job here working bottling line and um, in the cellar for a couple summers um, and then after that when I, I was finishing up my senior year I was offered a Seller position, Um, took it, and here I am now.
0: So when you're, obviously, you did a lot of formal education with Fresno State, and then you did hands-on. Was there mentorship or like continuing educational moments when you started in the cellar at King State to where you are now?
1: Oh yes, Uh, every every day, I almost learned something something new.
0: Was it a sort of a team effort in terms of the mentorship, or was there perhaps one person you worked more with in terms of helping to grow your professionalism?
1: Um, like what, what stage? Like <laughs> I know. Uh, well,
0: let's choose specifically winemaking since that's your specialty at the moment. Um,
1: early on, I really didn't have too much of a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was kind of on my own. I guess I would uh, refer back to one would be when I was um, in school. Um, our uh, one of our professors, Doctor uh, Ken Fuglesang, um, he's he was one of the top leading um, analogy profession- professionals in the in this um, in the field. Mm-hmm. Definitely learned probably more from him than um, a lot of other other people. And he kind of shaped um, a lot of like my technical thinking. I think that. Goes into winemaking
0: mm-hmm. touching on that um, it, there's a lot of the technical side of winemaking, but there's also a bit of an art mm-hmm. or philosophy to it. How would you describe your winemaking philosophy?
1: Um, definitely yeah like you said, definitely that blend of art and science um, not re- relying too heavily on one because um, yes there's always a, a certain style that you want to do or your own. Your own take on a certain wine, but sometimes elements that are out of your control um, prevent you from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to understand the, the the chemistry side and this the technical side of the winemaking process uh, kind of allows you to dip into both fields. Mm-hmm. Um, with me, my my style, uh, it really depends on the type of wine. I being up here, I've definitely had a large appreciation for Pinot Noir and um, for me, I like the Trebbiano, uh, like stylistically as almost a white wine, um, cooler fermentation temperatures, mm-hmm. and just longer ferments. Um, kind of contrast from where I was in California with big reds and kind of opposite style. That's how I thought I was gonna go, but up here, I've kind of found my own niche, and that's kind of the, the style that I like to like to try and do.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you find that does the does the style evolve? Do you experiment? Um, you mentioned you started out with the Big Reds just due to location. What was the transition like into working with Pinot Noir?
1: Definitely different at first. Uh, that first like few years it was hard to wrap my head around mm-hmm. um, a lot of that stuff. Um, but now it's actually definitely a lot easier now that I've had multiple harvests under my belt. Um, a lot of vintage also has a huge play in how you want to treat, um, treat the wines coming in. I've been parts of um, warm, long vintages, warm, short, um, mm-hmm. cold, very long, cold and rainy. So I definitely really got a mixed bag in a very short amount of time, um, which definitely kind of helps me see dif- see how to w- different styles work depending on the, the vintage, especially being up here in Oregon where our climate's definitely not as consistent as some of the warmer climates.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Related to that, what would you say are some of the challenges or opportunities working with this particular climate?
1: Um, Challenges would be weather, um, and a lot of it to do with also the varietal that we've chose to grow up here, which is Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very uh, finicky, temperamental grape, um, very uh, prone to disease, being Mm. very thin-skinned. When you get close to harvest, there's many, many things that can go wrong, as with any grape. Um, Pinot Noir seems to be a little bit more, and the fact that we're in a very cold, wet climate, a um, lot of risk for disease and rotten, rotten fruit. Um, but um, some of the benefits being cooler is you can let the fruit hang on the uh, vine longer without having to worry about your sugars getting mm-hmm. too high or losing too much acid. Um, this last year is a good example for that. We had high bricks or medium to high bricks but still really high acid which for uh, for winemaking that's that's awesome so you can have that alcohol level of art right where you want it to have a nice round rich wine but still the acid to kind of counter, counterbalance that
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know being a, up here in a war, or a cool climate definitely kind of gives you that that to play with
0: mm-hmm. uh, was there a moment or an event where you were like yes this is i'm going to be a winemaker and it's okay it's a, if they're.
1: I, 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 I don't know. Because
0: um, it sounds like you you knew you were interested in wine.
1: Yeah, I'd say after out. my my freshman year, um, I finished my freshman year. Actually, that that first summer I didn't work up here. I worked at a small uh, winery, Lavelle Vineyard, actually just uh, north of here. That was my first kind of job in the wine industry, and it was. They're kind of working on the very small kind of boutique scale that I guess you could say I wanted to, that's when I knew I wanted to be a, a winemaker one mm-hmm. day.
0: It, at that opportunity were you able to experiment a bit with winemaking?
1: Not so much because it was, that was kind of just a summer job so there wasn't any wine um, to be made really but it was a lot of the kind of blending um, exercises that I got to do with uh, the winemaker and owner mm-hmm. owner there and just a lot of kind of one-on-one work with them which was at the time, I don't think I quite realized what I was gaining from it. I mm. realized that probably a couple of years later. Um, now working a little larger scale winery, you definitely kind of look back on those moments and you can appreciate them a little bit more and you can draw from, from them. Especially here when we make 64 different wines, most of those being two to five hundred case programs. So we do a lot of small winemaking here on a large scale. So mm-hmm. pulling from that time working kind of in a small winery even though it wasn't a full year was definitely uh, was very beneficial.
0: Mm-hmm. Now being one of the younger successful people in the wine industry what are some of the challenges or opportunities that come with that?
1: Um, probably just being the young That that's tough winemaking, um, or winemakers in general have, that have made it to a full winemaker have been around for a while people who are looking to hire a winemaker especially in um, more luxurious um, areas or lu- luxury type wineries mm-hmm. want someone with a lot of experience. Um, I don't have that yet. Um, so trying to build that was a challenge and I was very grateful and thankful I was able to make a winemaking position at such an early age really quickly out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already kind of given me a step, step ahead than the, the normal uh, rate. But that's probably the biggest thing is not having that many vintages under the belt where people expect winemakers to have mm-hmm. a lot of vintages under their belt.
0: Mm-hmm. And you touched on this briefly, but I'd like to circle back and that's, what is it like to work at such a large production facility? Uh, well, Barch four again, I suppose, if you were.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell my friends at home, yeah, I work at a, <laughs> King is like, yeah, that's not big. <laughs> Probably the biggest. At first, it was uh, a very big challenge, um, but at that time, it didn't like it didn't really affect me. At least, it just shouldn't affect me that much because you know, it was just in the cellar. It was just my job to move wine from one tank to the other, basically. Um, but at the same time, like I had a greater understanding of what was going on, um, why we did certain things that might not have made sense to someone who wasn't coming from a wine background. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of knew what I was getting into coming here to a larger type winery. Uh, As a winemaker now, it's more um, just of the logistical um, logistical type problems that are still tough to overcome and to figure out. Does that kind of answer
0: that question? Yes, it does. Yes. Uh, So for you and in your current role, is there a typical day? And could you describe some of the things you do?
1: Yeah, I guess, uh, Rick, right now uh, I get here around 6.30, 6.45. Um, One of my main jobs is to get here early, uh, about 45 minutes to an hour before um, the bottling line fires off. Mm -hmm. Uh, First thing I do is I check to see, um, make sure the wine is in spec, Um, do write up any additions, especially like sulfur-wise, make sure it's at our target that we want for Mm -hmm. bottling. Um, Go to the bottling tank, taste it, make sure it's good ready for bottling no, nothing happened to it and within you know that 24-hour window uh and then to sign off make sure that the the top that the line's ready to go making sure that the the swabs at the end of the line at the hot sandy are clean that it did its job that it's sanitized and mm-hmm. ready to go um then after that i usually check um free sulfurs from the day before for all the lots and barrel uh write up any trims for that, for the when the cellar crew kicks off, um, and then after that, it's usually uh, monitoring our bottling targets and getting the right wine up to tank, making sure that it's cold stable, heat stable, mm-hmm. um, making sure that the sulfur is even down in the cellar are kind of where we want it, so we don't have to do large sulfur ads upstairs in the bottling mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Um, writing the packaging work orders for the the next day or it was a couple days ahead. Um, Doing monthly uh, tastings on our lots, more of a kind of a fault screening at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe earlier on in the year, I'm doing it as a fault screening, as a kind of pre-grading because we go through and we eventually grade all of our lots by um, accumulating grades monthly as we're sampling these lots. Kind of makes that big slug of samples when we are doing the final grade's a little bit easier i can go back and see. i like this lot three months ago didn't like it so much the next mm-hmm. month but i'm liking it again this month and just see if there's any like trends like if i see something like that i tend to stay away from it but if i see a wine that i've liked or i'm liking more and more then i kind of mm-hmm. flag that lot as a lot that i like and kind of from there it's easier to figure out where you want to want to put it so Mm -hmm. that's definitely a big part of my day is like sensory and evaluation then another big one be uh writing up topping work orders so we try and keep all of our barrels topped up every three weeks to four weeks Um, and because we do so many different designates and bottlings we have 64 different SKUs. we have to keep a lot of the lots separate to stay compliant so we Mm -hmm basically treat each vineyard that we source fruit from as like the the designate. Uh, We top a certain vineyard only with itself until it makes a cut, either going to the designate or to the King Estate blend. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a little more involved, whereas before when we were only doing a couple designates, you only had a few topping lots, so it was a little less tracking you had to do. Now it's a lot more involved, so that unfortunately takes a little bit more of my time. Uh, and then I do a lot of the uh, purchasing for um, the production or winemaking department, either that being additives, finding out uh, finding agents um, during harvests, a lot of the, the yeast and nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I also do the our barrel order every year, so uh, that's meeting with barrel our barrel reps, cooper's, and putting together the barrels that we want, the certain forests, toasts, grains. Um, we work with about 20, 25 different Coopers ordering between three to 400 barrels every year. Um, and right now, so all those orders are all in, and now it's just a matter of scheduling the barrels to to come in. It's kind of the big thing right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's kind of a typical day, I guess, in the off-season.
0: Right. Harvest
1: is a, kind of a different beast. Uh, usually the first thing you go during harvest. i've been working night shifts um, every year that i've been here so like for me when i come in usually all the red bricks or sugar levels are coming out Um, So the first thing that i usually check is just checking the fermentation curves making sure there's no uh, fermentations that look risk for uh, stuck fermentations Mm. Um, checking to see where the bricks levels are are currently no so I know what uh, nutrient add to do um, we tend to do between two to three nutrient ads depending on the uh, nitrogen levels of the must coming in for the yeast um, so I usually do that and then write up any um, nutrient work orders for the cap management crew because uh, I separate Usually, our red for manager will have all the cap management work orders written out, and you want the ads to so be able to go with the cap, so you can mix as you're doing do the ad, and then punch down or pump over, so you get it mixed kind of in one shot. Um, then after that, I usually will schedule um, inoculations. It's usually a, a big job, so I go through our yeast catalog and I select yeast for certain lots or wines or programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking for wines that have been. Um, final racked and are being warmed for inoculation um, for red wine is anything that's been three days cold soak if those are at three days scheduled to be warmed and inoculated um, And usually after that it's uh, monitoring incoming fruit fruit comes in the yard you got to make sure that it's um, what you're paying for you got to check make sure there's no rotten fruit coming in make sure it's the right fruit right block mm-hmm. kind of starting to grade the fruit as it comes in. Um, A night shift, we don't get quite as much fruit. We get more off the estate at nights. Um, Most of it comes in during the day. Um, Any late reds that come in, I then will uh, write work orders to process it through our red line. Um, If it's Pinot Noir, we'll look and see if it's a very clean fruit with lignified stems. If so, we'll uh, maybe have a lot be partial whole cluster. Mm and then making sure that there's obviously tanks to process into. Um, and then I'll go through, usually mid uh, mid shift during harvest, and I'll go through and taste all the white wine fermentations, um, just kind of as a fault screen, making sure there's no reduction happening, uh, making sure that the, there's no off aromas or flavors that the yeast are producing, that they're doing their job in fermenting. Um, and then usually by then, the next crew's coming in and then me and the Daytime red wine maker will go through our uh, red ferments that we know are getting close to drain, usually around one brick or less. Mm-hmm. And we'll taste to see if the wine's ready to be drained and pressed. We're kind of looking first. There's still residual sweetness. Um, how are the tannins? Are they um, still really soft? Are they starting to get kind of lengthy, big, round, or are they starting to get bitter or green? Um, we kind of look at that and take all that into account and see if we can drain this tank. Once we flag tanks that are ready to be drained, we then make sure that there are tanks to drain into. And then, um, I guess other parts of the shift would be when wines are confirmed dry, we'll taste the wine and then we'll assign uh, new oak for it. So depending on how the wine is, we'll select oak that can help the wine. Um, Mm -hmm. Like certain barrels, we'll select for wines that are soft, maybe need need to add a little more, more oak tannin to help uh, lengthen them, make them a little longer, or chewier. If it's already a really big wine, maybe a barrel that's not going to, or it's going to help soften the wine. Um, a lot of different things that be taken into account there. It's probably a good snapshot of harvest. I could probably go on for hours more talking about what a day in harvest is, but that's kind of the gist of,
0: right. of it. And it sounds like you're pretty intimately involved in a lot of the decisions on the ground at every point. In
1: yeah, we definitely, as a winemaking team, there's four of us. We all have our specific jobs, either in harvest or in the off season, um, just so there's not a lot of crossover, but we definitely do still keep our hands in all the other pots because mm-hmm. uh, it is definitely a lot, of, um, a lot of stuff going on. You need someone double triple, quadruple checking what you're doing so uh, you don't pump something into the wrong tank or miss a decimal when you're doing a certain ad or yeah so there's even though we have our set jobs we're definitely all overseeing kind of everything that's going on
0: Mm -hmm. of all of the things that you chronicled for us do you have a favorite or do you sort of enjoy the variety of all of it
1: um my favorite it's probably i really like tasting for uh like the end of ferment even though it's usually the when the wine's really young and raw and can be really overpowering, to me that's kind of the the make or break point right there. So it can be a little bit stressful, but at the same time it's like that's where you're defining most of your style is, especially for reds, you know, that one to two week period when it's on its skins, it's a big portion of how that wine's gonna be is that very short period of time. And then when you cut it down to those one or two days where the fermentation's done and you're getting that last bit of extraction from the skins, it's kind of where you can put your own kind of spin or your own little artistic um, twist on the wine, right there. If you want to let it wait a few more days, or wait another day, or even hours, sometimes a lot of times with wines, so we'll will taste it and think it's really close, and uh, we'll go back like halfway through the day, taste again to see if it's ready for to drain off the skins, and just that's probably the the more the my favorite part of the of the job off season. I definitely really do enjoy. Um, blending season
0: Mm -hmm. which is probably another point in time where you're able to put like your signature twist on yes like right now that's kind of what
1: we're doing so when it comes to putting the blends together for the king estate of the flagship wines you have Mm to you can't put your own twist on that you have to keep that consistent you got to think about the majority consumer that you're making that wine for but with the designates you definitely have a lot more artistic um uh, freedom when it comes to building those so like those we each build to our own type of style and then we go through, we double blind all of them so we don't know whose is who and then we go through and we just taste them and rank them one, two, three to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and most part, we actually um, kind of all go towards the same one. Very rarely are we completely split across the board. Um, let's see, this year so far, only one lot. We've been on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. and We've had to have other people come in kind of do the, the tiebreaker. <laughs> Uh, we have quite a lot where it's we always line up.
0: Mm-hmm. What advice would you give someone who's looking to enter the wine industry?
1: Get ready to get dirty. <laughs> um, if you want to get in the wine, especially in the production side, um, earlier on there's going to be a lot of just grunt work. Uh, a lot of winemaking is cleaning, dragging hoses, moving heavy pumps, digging out tanks. That's... Uh, it's a dirty job, uh, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Long job, hard job. Um, most people first getting into the wine industry don't realize that's kind of the first step to becoming a winemaker. And then even when you do, you never escape that. You're always gonna be doing some kind of um, hard, brunt work job that um, you might not like, but guess what, you're gonna do. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, prepare to do a lot of cleaning. A lot of cleaning mm-hmm. and sanitizing. So, I 75% of winemaking is just cleaning. Um, so if you're good with that, then all the rest of that romantic type stuff, it, it comes along and you'll, you'll get to it. But, um, yeah, if you want, people who are getting into the wine industry, just, yeah, be ready to get dirty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, so thinking about future vision, where do you see yourself in the next 10, 20 years?
1: Um, hopefully, I mean, I, the, the, uh, initial goal when I got into winemaking was oh I want to own a winery
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's never ever going to happen uh, especially after wine business class that's <laughs> um, yeah so that that was kind of the goal at first but then I realized that no there are a lot of great jobs for people who want to just hire you to make their wine mm-hmm. just to be a winemaker mm-hmm. um, and that's definitely the the head, the goal is to be like the head winemaker um, if not here somewhere else um, obviously I have California roots I would one day like to, to go back, um, that was kind of the short term goal after graduation was come up to Oregon get some experience then go back to California. Except at the time that's what I kind of thought all the jobs were, were mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate to have King of State be my first job where there was. But I realized soon there was a lot of room to move up here, mm-hmm. um, which thankfully I did um, very quickly. Um, and after I got, moved into a uh, enologist, I kind of decided, all right, King of State's gonna be a place I need to stick around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I've made assistant winemaker, it, it would be nice to be, have a different, uh, or a higher title, obviously, but at the same time, it's like I'm doing most stuff that my other colleagues back in California who have the same title as me are doing much less. Um, they're basically almost a glorified cellar worker. So um, 10 years, I wouldn't mind still being, um, even here at King Estate, still being um, either assistant associate winemaker, even move into a head winemaker role, um, or even just to stay up here um, in Oregon would be the, probably the main goal right now.
0: Mm-hmm. When we were doing the research to prepare for this interview, uh, we ran across Belzer Vineyards.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so our, my family, um, we bought uh, about 12 acres about eight years ago in Elmira, um, and we turned about an acre and a half of it into a vineyard. Uh, we have about half, um, half. oh yes, it's, it's an acre and a half Pinot Noir, half of it Cologne 115 and 113. Um, so it's just kinda something that we do on the side. Um, haven't sold it anywhere yet, um, but the goal with that is to maybe sell it here at King Estate where I can at least work with it in, a, mm-hmm. in an environment where I can make it the best possible wine. A lot of tools and resources here that I don't have at home. Um, and maybe one day to have like a a, a private label would be mm-hmm. um, kind of the goal there. But that's still pretty far out. The vines are only, this is their sixth leaf, so they're still fairly young, not really into their sweet spot of production zone yet.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That is really cool, though, to to have something of your own that you're growing, that hopefully you'll be able to play with as a winemaker.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done some vin- uh, some vintages from it already. Um, I've mostly a sparkling wine. Cause I love sparkling wine, um, and that's something I can easily make and manage. Like during the long grind of harvest, I can just go home. I can press the grapes, and with the juice, I can just ferment it, leave it downstairs in the downstairs closet where it's about 50, 60 degrees, and it can just I can leave it alone, not really worry too much about. It's not as <laughs> Um, labor intensive as if I was doing like a full Pinot Noir um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of been the out but I would like to see what it does as a, as a Pinot and not keeping it um, in a sparkling realm and seeing what it actually has to offer so if, if I can get a ton or a ton and a half fruit you know then I have options where I can possibly make it here so that's kind of the, the eventual goal with that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, a similar question, a 10 to 20 year question, um, but specific to King Estate. Where do you see King Estate evolving into?
1: Um, in 20 some odd years?
0: Yeah, because it's been around, one of the older Oregon mm-hmm. wines, uh, still around, and has seen a couple generations now. Uh, so, thinking about its historicness so far and then your experiences with it as one of the winemakers. we're curious to know what your perspective is in terms of where do you think it'll grow into
1: um i mean grow into is probably about as large as it can grow it doesn't have well i guess with acrobat selling we do have room again to grow something and we do have other um, labels and um uh, what do you say um projects that we're working on Mm -hmm. currently that i can see growing um but I would say in like in 20 years, I think it's, right now where we're at, it's a really great spot. I mean, we're kind of a, almost ambassadors for the Oregon wine industry. Um, whenever people think like Oregon wine um, elsewhere, most of the time they mention, oh, King Estate. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's where I work. Um, <laughs> and when I mention King Estate, even to people like on the East Coast, they're like, oh, I love your Pinot Gris. I'm like, oh, good, that's kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely see that continuing. Um, I just think I, I I think in twenty years we'll probably be maybe a little bit more of the same, maybe a few different um, portfolios or different labels in our portfolio um, that we're currently working on. I can see doing very well um, in the near future. So, mm-hmm.
0: given your background and that you've got California roots, you've experienced the Oregon and California wine industry to varying levels. What would you say are some of the similarities and the differences between the two industries?
1: Um, similarities? I'm um, sorry, differences might be better. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of it's the attitude. Down there, it's definitely it's more of a rat race, for sure. Um, a lot faster-moving people jockeying for positions all the time. Up here, it's definitely a little more laid back. Um, I think a lot of that, too, is because there's not quite as much... Um, in terms of, like, uh, the, of the wine presence in Oregon than it is in California. Um, another big difference, definitely the climate for sure, even though mm-hmm. Southern Oregon is still very warm, it's still not quite as warm um, as some of the other warmer sites in California. Um, mm-hmm. Even some of the cooler sites in California are pretty warm. Um, so I think that kind of style um, definitely plays a big part in, um, in it. Oregon tends to be more, uh, a good example would be like Chardonnay, Oregon Chard versus California Chardonnay. California Chardonnay is still that really big, round, rich, um, oak-dominant type Chard, which it's fine if you like that mm-hmm. style. Um, I honestly don't mind it. I like I like both, um, but with Oregon, it tends to be more um, uh, less oak-driven, more varietal-driven. So usually with Oregon Chardonnay is going to be a lot more acid. Um, a lot of Oregon producers, besides doing lower new oak percentage, they tend to do part barrel and stainless steel fermentation. Um, here at King, we actually do a little bit of that. We do oak and barrel ferment. Um, and we don't usually go full malolactic or secondary fermentation. We'll do maybe half um, the lot will go through secondary and the other half won't. Um, whereas like California, it's mostly all goes through secondary. That's where you get kind of that uh, buttery roundness mm-hmm. um, in shards. mm mm-hmm. um, yeah, and probably the biggest uh, st- like difference would be like the acid retention being cooler. We get a lot higher acid um, retention in the wine, whereas California, they're going to get less of that. Um, so you're going to get kind of more round, rich, fleshy, fruit-forward type wines down there, whereas up here you can get maybe a little more of the leaner, acid-driven style where it's not quite as fruit forward, more of those like secondary tertiary flavors being you know, earth spice and mm-hmm. um, even like graphite or just like less, um, yeah, less just fleshy big fruit wines.
0: And thinking about a future question again, just in general with the wine industry and whether you want to focus on Oregon wine industry or perhaps like the United States wine industry, where do you see that evolving in the next 10, 20 years?
1: Um, I mean, like, the industry in in general? Yeah,
0: as a whole, yeah. um,
1: I think people are starting to kind of realize more what their limitations are. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in Oregon, we're still still trying to figure out our exact niche um, because we haven't been doing it quite as long. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, There's definitely... I've seen more strides in, like, other states as far as, like, the right kind of varietals to grow and, like, the styles that fit more with their type of uh, climate. So, I mean, I definitely do pay attention to a lot of the other um, industries. We, we source from out of state. We do source from Washington, so I definitely do pay a lot of mm-hmm. attention to the Washington wine industry um, and California, obviously, because that's kind of the, the biggest driving factor to what affects a lot of us comes out of the California wine industry. So definitely keep an eye on, on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that concludes my formal questions for you. Is there anything that I should have asked you or any thoughts you want to share? Uh,
1: I don't think so. I feel like we covered quite a bit.
0: We did cover quite a bit. You did an excellent job. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. And that concludes the formal portion of the interview.
1: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success.